It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Locked On Nets podcast. We are recording during the one o'clock NFL games, my fantasy team's are already getting roasted, Uh, so hopefully I can distract myself by talking some Nets basketball. Uh, We are going over the implications of a potential Jimmy Butler trade with Josh Bass, whether it's even worth it if Kyrie Irving uh, could potentially stay in Boston, which is looking more and more likely. And then finally, we are starting our hashtag Atlantic Division rank. ESPN has their hashtag NBA rank. Sports Illustrated has their top 100 here on the Locked on Nets podcast. We are indulging the outdated concept of divisions that nobody ever thinks about and ranking our top 25 players in the Atlantic Division. All that and more next on the Locked On Nets podcast. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are listening to Locked On Nets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We are a Nets centric micropod focusing on everything Brooklyn Nets. I am your host Gavin Shaw and I am joined for the first time since last Tuesday I want to say the GOAT Josh Bass. Josh just helped me win some reward the fan money so that was great. I appreciate that Josh. I rewarded you. You rewarded me because I am a fan of you. Anyways Let's get moving. Uh, Locked on Nets. Uh, we I didn't have a chance to talk to you about Jimmy Butler. We had uh, Colton uh, Molesky, the host of Locked on T-Wolves on the last two episodes. In case you missed it, highly encourage you to check that out. They were two uh, really fun episodes. And we went over basically everything Jimmy Butler. But I would be remiss if I did not get Josh's perspective on a potential acquisition of Jimmy Butler. So a few, a few updates on the story before we get into it. Uh, when, when we initially recorded the podcast that had just come out, that Jimmy Butler uh, was prioritizing three teams over all others, and it was Knicks, Clippers, and your Brooklyn Nets. Now it's come out, it seems like the Clippers would be his top destination and the opportunity to play with Kawhi Leonard, who is apparently uh, very much liking the Clippers as an option next offseason, uh, would be very enticing for him. Then the Knicks are the next best option, and the Nets would be his third favorite. But before I get into that, Josh, do you... Do you want Jimmy Butler? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and uh, I apologize for not being able to be on the the Colton episode as I was atoning for my sins on Yom Kippur. Yeah, you were, were starved. One of the being that we don't produce enough episodes. Yeah, it's ironic. You were, you were committing the sin while <laughs> apologizing for it. Um, but I think that you know it's we can look at it in a vacuum where. Um, Jimmy Butler is great to have on the team, but it depends on what price it's going to be. You know, if we can give up just like uh, one one major piece, like a Karis LeVert type and a first rounder for this year, then that's great. But also it's going to be what kind of money is he looking for? And the reason he wants to get traded now is because whichever team he's on can have his bird rights and give him that five-year contract, which he's not going to get in free agency because he's not going to resign with the Timberwolves. So uh, it really depends. It's nice to have a, a star like him want to be on the Nets. It's a, 
it really does affirm kind of the process that Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson are taking, but it really is more of a case-by-case circumstance on if I'd want him on the team because you don't want to break up kind of what the good mojo we have going on here. Yeah, no, and I, I just, I, I don't think he, he's a good fit. And like, maybe like you could say beggars can't be choosers and that would, in a, in a big picture sense, that would be very much applicable to what the Nets have been over the last few years. But it, it seems like Sean Marks is at least on the path of building something fairly sustainable. And obviously right now that, that requires a little bit of belief because even though guys like uh, Jared Allen, Karis LeVert, uh, Joe Harris uh, look promising to varying degrees last season, they're, they're not anything close to a, a contender at this point. They're not even necessarily a playoff team at this point. But I, I feel like you kind of have to, uh, to to steal the Sixers moniker, trust the process a little bit, and, and trust in the fact that Sean Marks, over a long range of time, is going to make the right decisions to build this team up the right way. You trade for Jimmy Butler, you inevitably give up an asset, whether it's that first-round pick, whether it's Karis LeVert, who, for my money, is um, probably the second-to-last guy I would trade out of anyone on this Nets roster behind only Jared Allen. And you're, you're setting back maybe the long-term trajectory of the team for the short-term gain, and the short-term gain isn't necessarily that much. Like, what are the Nets with Jimmy Butler this season? They're maybe a 45-win team. Maybe they're somewhat competitive in a first-round series. And, and my whole thing is, like, if, if you're going to make that type of deal, and obviously there, there's a reason Butler's available and other stars of his caliber aren't, uh, and, and you're the Nets, I don't know if you want to do it for a guy who's not on the same age trajectory as the rest of your core, and Butler is obviously, I think he, I can't remember if he's either 30 or turning 30 this season, but you, oh yeah, sure, okay, but he's turning 30 this season, and then you're signing him to a five-year contract after that, and for a guy who's not necessarily a great shooter, and at least in my mind doesn't project to age exceptionally well, I, I don't really feel great about that. But at the same time, Sean Marks could do everything right, but you need stars to, to win in this league. And given that the Nets don't really seem like they're going to uh, tank anytime soon and have a, a better shot at a top three pick, then how are we going to go about getting that star? And even though it's always great to say, hey, let's wait till free agency, try to sign someone, we've seen that in the past. It doesn't always work out. I mean, Paul George, a year ago, everyone thought he was a slam dunk to uh, to head to L.A., and now he's re-signed with the, with the Thunder. So I feel like anytime you have a chance to get a star, you should just go for it, And and even though... Um, like things like the Carmelo trade, you're giving up a lot of assets. You have to be reasonable with what you're going to give up, but also you have to prioritize bringing in that top tier talent in the door. Yeah, and and I guess I mean like again, like I'm I'm looking at this team and I'm looking at it now with Jimmy Butler in there, but I guess I'm not considering like what are the next steps. Like if you get Butler, does that catapult you to getting another superstar? Could you maybe sign someone like Kemba Walker with Jimmy Butler already in Brooklyn? And I guess that's that's something to consider. Maybe even someone like Kawhi Leonard could come in. But I, I think the other Big news recently is is what Kyrie Irving uh, said in the uh, Jackie McMullen piece um, that he hasn't had a substantial conversation with Jimmy Butler since 2016. And obviously this summer, you and I and uh, our good friend Marcus uh, were painting this fantasy scenario where Kyrie and Jimmy want to play together. The Nets are one of the few teams that could potentially uh, create room for two max cap slots and, and take advantage of the fact that these two guys were allegedly very close and get both of them, and that, that that was the point where I was all in on getting Jimmy Butler because I I, I genuinely believe Kyrie Irving is is a super duper star. Whatever top tier of players you want to create, I think he is a hundred percent in it, and he is worth the money, and he is worth even paying Jimmy Butler potentially more money than he's worth. But if you assume Kyrie is staying in Boston, which was kind of my underlying assumption, and I think what he said about Butler only reconfirms that in my mind, I, I start to become a little bit more hesitant about Butler bringing in Kyrie. 
and in turn um, other superstars. What do you what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to just be Kyrie. It could be anyone, you know? It just it lends the franchise some credibility that a top, whatever, 15 player wants to be here, you know? Yeah, no, certainly. All right, uh, let's let's take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to I want to stay on this topic and talk a little bit about if Butler were traded to the Nets. How how would he theoretically fit in on this team? That next on the Locked On Nets podcast. Locked On NFL is becoming everyone's favorite daily NFL podcast. Mondays it's the local experts on the biggest stories of the week. Tuesdays former NFL QB and and, and noted uh, woke member of Twitter. Sage Rosenfels joins Matt Williamson Wednesday. It is Mike Renner of Pro Football Focus. Thursdays, it's the great Mike Sando of ESPN. And Friday, we get Matt's picks. So tune in to Locked On NFL. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Gavin Shaw, Josh Bass on the Locked On Nets podcast, continuing our conversation about Jimmy Butler. All right, so Josh, first let's talk about a deal. So I think I think the what's what's kind of been bandied around has been Karis LeVert, a first-round pick with protections on it. I saw what Zach Lowe threw out there was um, sending them the Denver pick, which I think would be ideal because it would give the Nets some wiggle room in case they traded for Butler and he got hurt or something like that. Um, and that pick is obviously top 12 protected, so there's already a cap on how valuable it could be. How, how does that sound in your mind? Does that sound like, one, feasible to get Butler and two, reasonable from the Nets' end of things? Um, I think it's – I would definitely do that trade. I don't really see the upside for Minnesota to do it. That's the thing. Um, these are You're giving up Jimmy Butler, and obviously he wants to leave, but they shouldn't take really – They honestly, it makes sense for them to kind of hold out a little bit uh, see how the season plays out, and then reevaluate around the trade deadline, especially after December fifteenth, when they can, um, when players who just signed can be traded. Yeah. So I would, I would wait if I were them. Don't settle for an offer like that because it's not giving them anything that's going to turn into really a, a big time piece that can work with uh, Carl Towns and their core. And since Wiggins is kind of a disaster, they, if they trade Butler, it can really go bad from here because they're going to be capped out and. Tibbs, or Tibbs isn't really known as kind of the best guy that can bring in talent. He's good at working with what he has, but uh, his real tenure in Minnesota has been a disaster. So uh, if I were them, I'm not going to do that deal. Would you, just from a Nets perspective, would you rather trade Karras or Dila? That's tough. I, I think I'd rather trade Dilo just because we've seen how important wings are that can defend, play multiple positions, um, shoot, pass. And D'Lo is just such a huge liability on defense that I think that unless he really becomes a amazing offensive player, which I don't see happening, um, 
I'm a D-Lo hater, but also I just, I don't know, I don't see it with him. Yeah. I think he's going to be more expendable than someone like Karras if Karras lives up to his ceiling. Right, and like, and like the, theoretically, like, I, again, like, I don't know, I don't know how Tom Thibodeau feels about these guys, but like, I mean, potentially, like, he would maybe value D-Lo more than Karras in a trade because there's still that perception around him that he has a lot of untapped potential, and obviously he shows flashes of, of brilliance that... Uh, maybe maybe pretend to a little bit of a higher ceiling than Karis Levert has, but I don't know. It's interesting. I, I think I think I'm with you on it long term. I'd be a little bit more intrigued by Levert. That being said, getting someone like Jimmy Butler, I think that could maybe bring out the best in D'Lo's game. So who knows? I, and in general, I'm kind of of a wait and see approach with D'Lo, and I'd, I'd like to I'd like to give him a few weeks to find out what he is. But then you risk uh, tanking his uh, trade value if he's not any better than he was last season. And the Nets probably have a better gauge on that than we do. So I think they'll know. What's his trade value at this point, though? I feel like yeah. it's pretty minimal. I tend to agree. I don't know. I mean, because obviously, like, the Lakers were, like, pretty open about, like, being willing to deal him before the 2017 draft, and the Nets got him for a relatively low return, like Brooke Lopez with just one year left on his contract and the 27th pick that, at the time, no one knew would turn into a real substantial player. And Kyle Kuzma, I, I don't know. I get, like, the feeling that, like, just the raw numbers he put up with the Nets maybe make his value a little bit higher. But again, you, you kind of deal with the thing that we, we talk about a lot on this podcast, that there just aren't really very many dumb GMs in the NBA that get fooled by that stuff. Like you can't, you can't, you can't make every trade with the Kings. Like most teams know what they're doing. They can see beyond like, oh, he, he averaged 23, seven and five when he's healthy. Only like five guys in the league. It's, it's not like the, the writers for fan side are, are operating the NBA teams anymore. So I think that that could hurt the Nets a little bit. Yep, no, that, that's fair. It's it's like the league. You can't always make a trade with Taco. Sometimes it has to be with a, a P to Ruxin. Sure. Uh, <laughs> all right. So if, if they if the Nets like let's just say like they do um they do Butler for D'Lo and a first round pick, do you think he he fits in with the Nets? Because obviously this is a very three point centric system. You already have a guy who's taking up um some some room in the lane in Jared Allen. Obviously he can step out, jump in on pick and rolls. So there's a little bit of flexibility there, but just like a guy who attacks the rim, do you think this is a good fit for Butler's game and maybe the spacing gives him a little bit more room to operate or how, how do you, how do you think he'd fit in on this Nets offense? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a bit tricky, but he is a super talented player. Um, so I think he could fit in in pretty much any system. He does hold the ball a lot, especially in recent years when he's been the, the go-to guy on his teams. Um, but I think that, you know, he's not a horrible three point shooter. The thing is he just doesn't have a lot of volume. Uh, had a career high in attempts last year, 3.4. And considering the minutes he plays, that's really a pretty low volume for a star-level uh, wing player, perimeter player. Um, I think he'd be encouraged to take more threes, but also the Nets do drive a ton to the basket. That is a big part of their game, not settling for mid-range shots, either threes or trying to get as close to the rim as possible. So being on a team with more spacing, especially with Jared Allen continues his uh, corner three-point range and, and working on that, then... He really could, Jimmy really could take off on this kind of team. Yeah, I think his season last year gets a little bit underrated because obviously he was hurt for a lot of the year. But again, uh, going back to the great Zach Lowe, he made some really good points about him in his article and the fact that when he was on the floor with Andrew Wiggins and Carl uh, Anthony Towns, who obviously were both pretty terrible defenders in general, um, he, he was able to keep them afloat. And those units actually ranked as, as one of the better um, five-man lineups in the entire NBA. And then when Butler went off the floor, I think they went um, from plus 10 per 100 possessions to like minus three per 100 possessions. So you could see like he really, really impacts games on both ends of the floor. And I think he single-handedly like could turn the Nets into 
if not an average defense, like pretty darn close to it. We've mentioned this a ton on the podcast that the Nets' analytics defensively are extraordinarily healthy, and they, they really force the right type of shots. And if you just plug a really, really dynamic wing defender like Butler into that system and you project growth across the roster, guys like Jared Allen becoming better shot blockers, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Allen Crabb continuing to take steps forward on the defensive end, suddenly you have a little bit of upside defensively, and, and you're talking about a team that can really get it done on both ends of the floor and, and, and genuinely compete uh, night in and night out with almost any team in the NBA, uh, depending on how they shoot. But again, yeah. like there, there's a definite ceiling on that. So it, right. it, it all depends like, on what you want. An awesome player. I, I think he's definitely, I would say he's probably top 12 in the league. Yeah. Um, and, and going back to your point also, the Nets do force a lot of good things with their defense. They just need more dynamic players to, uh, to force more turnovers. It's been a problem in recent years, not forcing a ton of turnovers. And Jimmy Butler's a high steals guy, and he does it without gambling a ton. So just having that kind of lockdown guy on the team would probably bump them up seven spots or so in defensive rating. And again, my, my concern would be like, what you're getting from him next year is, is likely to be the best Jimmy Butler you're ever getting. And then, and then you're giving him five years, $190 million after that. So that, that, remains, that remains my uh, primary concern. And I, I, I seed your point that it'd be that the Nets kind of need that superstar to legitimize what they're doing. In the eyes of, I think they have a lot of respect throughout the NBA, but right now, like the perception is like it's like respect in the sense like, oh, like that team was was a shit show, and now they're they're competent, and like this this would be like the next step forward to like stars actually looking at them and being like, oh, that's a place I could really see myself playing. Yeah, and because if they don't do anything, like let's say uh, they don't get a star, another two years goes by, and they're still in that 30, 32 win range. Now, what's differentiating the Nets from like, the Orlando Magic, just another team with, without direction? At some point, you have to take a risk and try to get that star. And Jimmy Butler's, I think, worth it. Obviously, you don't want to give up too much, but you're going to have to take a gamble at some point. Right. And I, I, it, it would certainly make our jobs more fun. So uh, here's to Jimmy Butler being on the Brooklyn Nets this season. All right. We'll wrap up this segment, and we'll finish up ranking our first five players, or our last five, depending on your perspective, in our Atlantic Division rank next on Locked on Nets. Locked on NBA never went away and is still here for you every day. Locked on NBA is your daily national NBA podcast. Every Monday, get the local experts on the biggest stories and then stay with Locked on NBA all week long with daily 30-minute episodes on everything going on in the NBA. Follow for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked on NBA. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for joining us back on the Locked On Nets podcast. Josh and I have made guest spots on Locked On NBA in recent weeks, uh, with our with our boy, the Australian goat himself, Josh Lloyd. So I highly encourage you to check that out in case you missed it. Had some good Nets talk on there. Maybe we'll uh, we'll pop back in the next few weeks to talk Jimmy Butler potentially joining the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, before we get to that, though, we decided to do hashtag Atlantic Rank. You've seen ESPN's hashtag NBA Rank. You've seen Sports Illustrated's Top 100. Now Josh and I are taking advantage of the antiquated concept of divisions to fit some nets onto this list because that's the only way they would ever be ranked and talk about um, some some of the best players in the Atlantic division. And Josh, we had, we had two different lists. 
I'll let you run down yours first. We're doing 25 through 21 today. Uh, I will just say with a spoiler, I, I had more nets than you did in our first five. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Everyone knows you're Homer for a yeah. team that you don't like, and uh, uh-huh. I am the objective journalist. Of course. That's why you say we so. during the podcast. <laughs> hey, listen. Yeah, go, yeah, go ahead. Fan. I support this team through a lot, so I deserve it. Sure. <laughs> so so running down my list, um, starting, at, starting at 25, um, looking at, at who we have here, so it's going to be Marcus Morris for me at 25. Sure. I have him at 23. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. So similar there. Yeah. Um, someone that's super inconsistent, but at the same time, he is very talented. Um, had, had a decent season on, on Boston. I don't think he's ever going to be the player that people thought he was coming out of Kansas when he really was a great scorer there. Um, he just doesn't have the... He's a, he's a decent shot maker, decent athlete, but he doesn't have any wow qualities that are ever going to make him really a special scorer, but still fine. I mean, 25th in the division, nothing special there. Uh, you're you're, you're forgetting he's, he's, he's a LeBron stopper. It's not the LeBron stopper. <laughs> <laughs> the Morris brothers are so aggravating to me. Yeah, I know. I am, I'm, I'm honestly shocked you ranked one. All right, I had our boy uh, Joe Harris at 25. He was like initially like very borderline for me at a couple of... Young Raptors ahead of him in uh, OG, Ananobi, and Pascal Siakam. I think long-term, uh, both of those guys, uh, definitely OG, are going to be quite a bit better than our boy Joe. But he, he was he was like the most, again, like the most efficient uh, bench scorer in basketball last season. If you, if you want to throw volume out the window, he was arguably the most efficient scorer in basketball last year. I know his true shooting percentage was a little bit lower than like some of the centers in this league, like guys like Jared Allen who just get dunk after dunk after dunk. But I think what he provided offensively was genuinely valuable. And I kind of had, uh, I mentioned the Raptors. I also had a debate between him and Marcus Morris internally. I'm not Marcus Morris, excuse me, Marcus Smart. Um, But I I think Harris is just a dramatically more efficient scorer with his ability to finish around the basket and to shoot threes. And he still does some of the little things a guy like Marcus Smart does, like diving for loose balls, hustling on defense. He's not quite the disruptor smart is, but like, I, I think when it comes down to it, I, I value the shooting a little bit more than those extra uh, glue guy qualities. Mm-hmm. I forgot about Marcus Smart. I need to retroactively add into my list. What, what, do, you, what do you think about, uh, like, why was Joe Harris close to making your top 25 or was he like one of like the first few cuts for you? He probably would have been, if I had a top 30, he'd be on that, maybe a 29 or 30. Sure. But um, even though he had a super efficient season, I'm looking towards next year. Uh, or this coming season, rather, and I don't think he's going to replicate those same numbers. He could have a great season. He just still wouldn't be able to replicate um, that finishing around the basket. I mean, 40% from three is pretty realistic from him. Um, But I think that he is limited as a player. So um, I'm just looking at kind of the utility that a lot of these guys can provide in bigger roles than Joe Hicks would be able to. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I I was trying to do, like, a cross between looking back and projecting ahead. And and you're right, some of those young guys could certainly pass him. I, I just, I wanted to give him some credit. For an outstanding year last year. All right, Josh, at 24, you had Courtney Lee. Would you want to, do you want to mulligan on that? Do you want to throw Marcus Smart in there instead? Or what's, what's the deal there? Yeah. I mean, in retrospect, I'd probably have Marcus Smart there. I honestly just forgot about him. I think Courtney Lee is, you know, he's not sexy at all. He's just someone that gets the job done, had a career year from three last year, 41%. That's awesome from him. I mean, career 39% shooter, but I feel like he's, a little bit inconsistent usually, um, so so good for him getting that up there. 
he's a solid guy. He's not going to take anything away from you. Decent defender, can get to the basket at times. That's an, had a good year for the Knicks. Um, I feel like he's a guy that doesn't get his credit, but you're not going to love him on your team. But similar to like a Danny Green type on the Spurs, um, it's good having him around. He is reliable. So I wanted to give him some props. Yeah, no, he's I, – I went – I tried to go – and then again, I did have Marcus Morris at 23 on my list, which I'm regretting a little bit. But uh, I, I tried, I don't know, he's just like, so I, I understand, like, he's he's objectively good. It also, it feels like 20 years ago, he missed that layup in the finals that could have not, probably not swung an NBA finals, but it could have been a lot more competitive if he had made it and they had beaten the uh, Lakers. All right, uh, I had uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson at 24, a guy who, spoiler, you had about 10 spots higher then I did, um, my concerns were just that, I mean, and again, like he, like give him a ton of credit. He, he really developed his game as an offensive player last year and, and became quite effective on that end when he never really was at any point in his career. And defensively, he still brings a lot of versatility. I, I just don't think he's, he was quite at the same level defensively he was earlier in his career, which was his calling card and the reason like I, I really valued him as a player. And the fact that he doesn't shoot three pointers, I think is a really big deal. Like I have Marcus Morris ahead of him. And I think in so many ways, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is a better player than Marcus Morris. I, I just believe that shooting is, is the most important skill you can have in the modern NBA. And the fact that Morris is a competent three-point shooter and Hollis-Jefferson's three-point shot is non-existent makes such a big difference. Um, that was the separating factor between the two in my mind. Yep, no, that, that's completely fair. Um, we'll talk about him on my list in a couple shows. But I think that he, he's someone that, if he was on a different team, that maybe had a bit more shot creation, then he would be lower down on my list because he's not going to be asked to do uh, as much and not showing off that scoring capability. And now that's where his inability to shoot threes would hurt him more if he has to spot up. Uh, but on this next team, did really well for them last year. So I wanted to give him props by having him at number 15, spoiler alert. All right. And then you had uh, you had Serge Ibaka next at 23, a guy who I had a little higher, who I think we were, we were both kind of lukewarm on. And then we, we looked at his stats from last year and he was, he was actually like, relatively efficient as an offensive player yeah i mean here's the thing he's i think the expectations for him when he was on the with thunder he did a great job developed a lot more quickly than anyone could have hoped i mean we'll not get we're not going to get into the whole age thing but uh, he was an awesome player definitely the top 25 in the league at that point superstar defender and he's fallen off considerably but he's still pretty good um i don't know just when i watch him play even though his stats are decent uh, shot 36% from three last year, 80% from the line. Uh, okay rebounder, okay shot blocker. He's just not what he was earlier in his career. Um, I don't know. Just watching him play, I feel like he makes a lot of mistakes. He never like hits the, the big three. Um, and he's he was decent on Toronto last year and why they were the number one seed. Um, or number two seed, sorry. But he also was part of the reason that they can never get past LeBron just because he's not – super dynamic anymore yeah no that, that's fair and I just I don't know I guess just like in the context of like these guys like you look at the back end of the Atlantic division and like it's, it's a combination of guys with like a lot of upside who haven't done it yet and guys who are a little bit over the hill um I I, I still put him on the higher end of that like for respect for like what he was on the Thunder and maybe again like we're, we're trying to project towards next season and maybe I'm not I'm not giving his aging enough credit and the fact that like again like he might be older and then we think he is, but he, he was just, again, like 48% from the field, 36% from three, still solid on defense. Like, I don't know. I think that's that's like a pretty, those are pretty essential stats. And he, he was really a key part of what was ultimately one of the best teams in the NBA last season, the regular season. I'd argue the third best team in the NBA last year. All right, uh, well, let's let's keep it rolling. Uh, number 23, I had Marcus Morris. Uh, we already went over him. Number 22, our 
Third net for me, I had uh, Damari Carroll, who by advanced analytics was the best player on the Brooklyn Nets last season. I think he had the highest um, plus minus on the team. He had like the highest uh, per 100 possessions rating. He, he was, or net rating rather, he, he, was, he was really, really solid. But again, he's a guy who I think, if anything, is going to be worse last season. I, I, next season, excuse me. I, I don't think he's ever going to have a better year in his career um, going forward than what he did last season. He was particularly good from three-point range. He was able to break guys off the dribble, which I really didn't expect from him at this point in his career. And he was very solid defensively. He did a lot of things either competently or slightly better than average. And, and that's surprising to me. I don't know how sustainable it is, but again, he was the best player on one of the teams in the Atlantic division last year, or you could make the case that he was. Um, so I'm slotting him in at 22. Fair. I can't argue with that. Um, had a really good year last year, as you mentioned. Um, I think he can keep it up for another couple of years because remember he didn't play it. Even though he's had a lot of injury problems, he didn't play a ton early on in his career when he was bouncing around with Memphis and some of those other teams. So doesn't have as many miles on him as someone that you'd expect. Um, so I think he can, he can stay at this level for another one or two seasons. Will probably uh, not be on the Nets team next year. I think he gets traded to a contender um, at some point. I'm sure he could really help uh, maybe a team like Houston that needs another 3 and D guy to replace like someone like Trevor Ariza. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a good guy to have in your team. Very versatile. Not going to take a lot off the table um, and can make some big plays for all right, at 22, you had a guy who surprised me a little bit uh, and who Tommy Heinsohn described as looking like all of Australia, if I remember the quote correctly. I got I to gotta bring it back up. But he, Tommy Heinsohn saw him in a shower, and he loved what he saw. Aaron Baines, you had at 22, uh, who, who surprisingly, he was a very strong defender, obviously, was very effective against the Nets because they had no one who could guard him, and started hitting threes in, in, in the playoffs. So he, he had himself a nice season last year. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Baines is kind of the opposite of Serge Ibaka, where I'm looking at his stats now, and I'm like, why did I put this guy at, at 22? But whenever I watch him play, he's super impressive. Uh, I mean, he was a starting center, played 20 minutes a game on a team that won 55 games. So, um, you know, good for Aaron Baines. Again, very good positional defender, um, smart guy, sets a lot of illegal screens that don't get called. So, uh, you know what, good for him. Uh, he's a good rebounder. Again, you mentioned that three-point shot that he started taking. Um, and he's just a really um, good basketball player that doesn't get a lot of credit. Um, and maybe 22 is a bit high. I'd probably replace him with Marcus Smart and have him off the list. But um, for his role, he does an excellent job. I, I, I know. I like the choice. And I think I think you made a good argument for him. All right. Uh, for my final guy of this podcast at number 21, I had the guy who has way more nicknames than I thought going on his basketball reference page. Uh, Lord Covington, Rocco. Rob and and people call him Rock apparently. Lord Covington. People call him Rock. I mean, yeah, Lord Covington's weird too, but but Rock. Anyways, it, it is it is Robert Covington who is a guy again who I was torn on. I think if I did this list like a season ago, like I would have had him closer to where you have him at. Uh, spoiler fourteen. Um, but he he was he was disappointing in the way he shot the ball last year. Only forty one percent from the field. Um, went went down from I, I think he I, I believe he had a season earlier in his career. Yeah, he peaked. As a 37% three-point shooter in 2014-15. And then last year, actually, a big step up over 16-17, where he's only at 33% from three. He was back up to 37%, and I'm sure uh, a significant product of that, or, or rather that was a product of him playing with a lot more talent around him and guys like Ben Simmons and Embiid being healthy for a full season. 
But he, I don't know. He was just he was obviously just such a secondary guy on last year's team. Was a good but not elite three point shooter. Was a good but not elite defender, and was such a no show in the playoffs that really left a sour taste in my mouth. And that I think is the ultimate reason why I didn't have him higher. But ultimately, still like exactly what you want in the modern NBA. He's kind of the evolved version of Danny Green if he can turn into a slightly better three point shooter at six foot nine, someone who really brings dynamic length, and I think is kind of one of the core pieces of what could make Philly um, one of the two or three most fearsome defensive teams in the NBA going forward. And he's a perfect fit next to Simmons and Embiid. So I had him at 21, all that considered. Yeah, I, I actually completely disagree with you because sure. he was horrible in the playoffs. Um, it was mainly his, his two-point shooting. Only shot 34% on two-pointers in the playoffs and just made a ton of boneheaded plays, uh, sloppy inbounds passes, um, just losing the ball easily. And he, he's a limited player because he doesn't have a handle. He can't create for himself at all. But what he does is amazing. I mean, he had four and a half defensive win shares last year, which is awesome. About a two and a half percent both steal and block rate, which is an amazing block rate for a wing. Uh, and his field goal percentage is so low because about 70% of his shots are threes. And he shot that at a 37% clip. Pretty decent. I mean, nothing spectacular. But for someone who's as good of a defender as he is, being able to add solid three-point shooting makes for a really good player. So, I don't know. I, I'm pretty high on Robert Covington still, even after the playoff disaster. So, I think he warrants a spot in the top 15, at least. I'm surprised you uh, didn't happen in top 20. Even. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I hear your argument. And I think I can, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this next podcast, but I could, you could make an argument in my mind for putting him as high as about 16. Like, I'm willing, I'm willing to move him ahead of any of the five guys I had ahead of him. All right, uh, let's finish this up. This segment is going way longer than I thought it would, even though I think it's good stuff. Uh, OG Ananobi was your final guy at number 21. He, he was the last cut on my list. I'm not going to disagree with, with the choice at all. The only thing I would say is I, I'd kind of put him in that Covington mold where he's just, he's not very versatile. He's, he's in that 3 and D role. Right now, and you, you can project forward and say there's more there because he's, he's really a great athlete in a way that Covington is, isn't quite, at least vertically. Um, so I, I think there, there's a ton of upside there. I love him as a player. I think he's one of the more valuable young assets in the NBA. I, I just think last year he, he was really the beneficiary of having great talent around him. And in a lot of, on a lot of teams, he, he wouldn't have been able to play significant minutes last season. That's fair. I don't know. I thought he was really good last year. Um, especially surprised me with three-point shooting. I know his percentages were decent at Indiana, but a lot of that was in very limited sample size, so it could have been a fluke. I mean, 37% three-point shooting for him, if you said going into his rookie season that that's what he was going to output, I think it's pretty phenomenal and exceeds all expectations. Awesome defender already in his rookie year, so uh, I'm really high on OG Ananobi. I think 21 is pretty fair for him. It might be a, a little bit aggressive, but I think he's going to live up to that just because he is a phenomenal defender, and if he can um, keep up that solid three-point shooting and being able to uh, score efficiently at the rim when he has opportunities. Um, he could he could easily be someone who's in the top 12 uh, in a couple of years from now. All right, Josh, I love it. Great start to our hashtag Atlantic rank. Uh, it is now 152 on a Sunday, so I think we both have to get to football, but we really appreciate everyone tuning in. And uh, I don't know, maybe I'll split this into a part two. So you might be hearing this on Wednesday, but if nothing else, the first part will have been released on Monday. Really appreciate it. Have a good one, everyone. Enjoy your weekend. Peace out. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.